We are five days away from fundamentally transforming the United States of America. You know, this Marxism-Leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations of American students. America first. You could put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. Change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions. For too long, a small group in our nation's capital has reaped the rewards of government while the people have borne the cost. The racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic. cold this fine November day and uh, I thought you know I want to go ahead I don't have my normal appointment at 10 and I want to go ahead and dive into our urgent education I wanted to do it yesterday but I was lucky to get a shower yesterday and as you can tell I have not had time today yet in fact I may stay in my jammies all day I haven't decided but I wanted to get this uh, in today uh, I'll be out of town tomorrow uh, before I have to get on my work. And we've looked at the legal ideas behind the Second Amendment uh, from several lawyers, uh, a little bit of some founding fathers from the uh, both the British and some American legal commentar uh, commentaries. And now I want to get to the views of the founding fathers because a lot of people need to understand that the founding fathers were very um, and I don't want to use the term legalistic in a negative way, but in the fact that they observed the law, they were very law abiding. And so, um, like in the Constitution 101 course that I'm developing, uh, one of the things that people need to understand is that the Declaration of Independence, the Lee Resolution on July 2nd, the, um, the uh, Bill of Rights, the um, Constitution, I'm, I might say Constitution and Declaration of Independence, I'm not sure. All of the things that are included in those documents were done through a legal process and following British law. And when you look at the uh, 70 plus grievances our founding fathers included in the Declaration of Independence, it would, it would, all of those things were laws that the British throne had violated and they were not applying to the colonists and uh, so they were very legally minded and made sure every uh, I was dotted and every T was crossed. So you then have where um, they would vote and ratify the laws here in um, the United States once they uh, transformed the colon colonies into states on July 2nd 1776 with that Lee resolution they then as a for forming the foundation of the government, which began with the power belongs to we the people, then the states, then the feds. Um, that was the proper structure with us holding the greatest power. So I'm sure you can see how it's been flipped. 
Well, the Founding Fathers had very clear ideas on the Second Amendment and the legality of it because for them, as we've discussed, the right of self-preservation was a gift, uh, a, a right that comes from God. Therefore, their job in forming the government, which is one of the first statements of the Declaration of Independence, it's you know right there, was to secure that right. And because, again, our founding fathers, even the least religious, uh, recognized the need for morality and virtue and even biblical instruction. Ben Franklin was one of the ones that um, pushed uh, that schools should be formed to teach biblical doctrine, even though he didn't believe in Jesus Christ as his savior. Uh, several, uh, Thomas Jefferson might be another that was least religious. Um, I think it, I think he was the second one. So, but they all recognized a creator and that man has these rights from a creator and that man didn't give those rights to another man. And so in their efforts to, um, you know, debate, to discuss, to solidify their views on the Second Amendment, we have the documents of their own letters but we also have the um, debates on record from the con you know the congresses that were held, and I can't. I mean, I'm there. I'm sure there are some, but I've not found any that disputed actually the right to bear arms. The other thing that we need to understand with our founding fathers is they were also looking at history, and they saw a pattern. And this is one of the things I'll I'll teach in my um my training is they saw a pattern of tyranny. So it would start with certain things, usually giving people free stuff, appointing judges and religious leaders that support the king. Um, and then the final nail in the coffin of liberty was taking away people's arms or making them so difficult to get. That's exactly what King George did to us in the colonies. And uh, so anyway, that's they recognize the only way a tyrant or a tyrannical government can take over a country is if they disarm the people. Uh, and it'll be very interesting in the uh, in-person and Zoom classes I do on this, uh, I think, to you to see how far uh, down that list of things we have gotten to. So this um, is from Samuel Adams. He signed the uh, declaration. He was also considered the father, father of the American Revolution. He said... Regarding the Second Amendment, resistance to sudden violence for the preservation not only of my person, my limbs and life, but of my property is an indisputable right of nature, which I never surrendered to the public by the compact of society and which perhaps I could not surrender if I would. The maxims of the law and the precepts of Christianity are precisely conceded in relation to this subject. I'm sorry, this was John Adams, and he was a president, signer of the Declaration, and one of the two signers of the Bill of Rights. Now, did you notice that? He's saying, not only is it not something I, I could surrender because it's a right that comes from, from God, but it's also a precept of Christianity to protect yourself. I mean, you see it over and over in the Bible. And a lot of people are like, well, yeah, but you know, Jesus, I mean, he when Peter tried to defend them with the sword, you know, Jesus rebuked him for it. Well, why did he give them the sword in the first place? Because between his death and his resurrection, they were going to need physical protection. And the sword wasn't meant to prevent Jesus from being arrested because that was the plan of God. So unless the plan of God is for you to be martyred, 
uh, you probably need to have your right to bear arms intact. Okay, so, you know, a lot of Christians say, well, that's not faith in God. Well, do you have car insurance? Do you have life insurance? Do you take medicine when you're sick? Um, all of those things uh, you could say we should distrust God for. Do you have a savings? You know, so there's things that we will flippantly dismiss as being needed that don't don't reconcile with things we do now that actually directly contradict the idea. And so having the right to bear arms is a right. If you choose not to bear arms, that's your right um, to say no to that. But no one should be able to take away the right of self-preservation from any human, much less American. Uh, Fisher Ames, he was a framer of the Second Amendment in the First Congress. Uh, he said the right of bearing arms is declared to be inherent in the people. Uh, Patrick Henry said the great object is that every man be armed. Everyone who is able may have a gun. But have we not learned by experience that necessary as it is to have arms, it is still far from, excuse me, being the case. In other words, not everybody was armed. And that bothered him because, you know, number one, we had to fight the Brits. And if you didn't have weapons, you weren't going to be able to succeed very well. And then he also said, guard with jealous attention the public liberty. Suspect everyone who approaches that jewel. Unfortunately, nothing will preserve it but downright force. Whenever you give up that force, you are inevitably ruined. So that's why the last phase of a tyrannical government taking over a nation is a disarming of the people. So you've got propaganda that gets people that they're willing to, which is why I say whenever there's a mass shooting or there's gun violence, you cannot just directly go to the argument to disarm the people. I mean, even logically, if you look at the situation, criminals will always have weapons. Always. And so when you disarm just citizens, you're making them targets. And But not only that, man doesn't have the right to take that away. So it's a mute argument anyway. But my suspicion is if it ever occurs in this nation, which has slowly been occurring, uh, it will be through regulation and making guns and ammunition, especially ammunition, so expensive people can't afford it. That's just uh, as much a tactic as outright banning them. In fact, that's what happened in Australia. And uh, so we need to be very zealous in guarding the Second Amendment. And then original Chief Justice John Jay said, even if it was practicable, practicable, would it be wise to disarm the good before the wicked cease from troubling? And that's my exact point. Why would you disarm the good when you know the wicked are here and they're going to keep causing problems, murdering, robbing, raping? They're going to keep doing all of that. So it doesn't make sense to disarm the good unless you have an agenda behind it. The only thing that is keeping nations and globalists from taking over this country is the fact of how many people have weapons. And it's just, it's, a, it's the death knell of this country if they ever are able to pull it off. Thomas Jefferson 
said, In what country can preserve its liberties if its rulers are not warned from time to time that this people preserve the spirit of resistance? Let them take arms. So governments naturally, by definition, corrupt themselves. Always. The only government that will not ever corrupt itself is God's. So he's saying that the warning to governments is the fact that we are armed. That should serve a notice. And it does. And that's why they want to disarm us. And that's why every mass shooting, that's the the cry, is we need to disarm uh, this nation. Zachariah Johnston, he was a Revolutionary Army Virginia legislator and ratifier of the U.S. Constitution, said the people are not to be disarmed of their weapons. They are left in full possession of them. This is a principle which secures, get this, religious liberty most firmly. Now, I thought Christians needed to trust Jesus for their um, self-protection. They don't need weapons. Well, I mean, when I look here at uh, Zechariah Johnson and the whole idea of coming over here from England was to escape the church and state combination, which simply means the state was dictating your religious belief and you could be fined or jailed if you didn't agree with what the state was saying, how you worship and who you worship. We came over here and set up a Christian nation based on Christian values, but we also did not put in our legal documents that you have to be a Christian or worship God. In fact, when that was considered, most people were like, no, Christianity is the most superior of all the faiths. Therefore, it should excel above all others, and we should not fear any other faith that threatens it. In other words, put your money where your mouth is. If you truly believe that Christianity is the best thing and the truth, then by natural merit, it should stand out above all other uh, faiths and worship. And we should not fear people worshiping uh, the way they deem, whether they're Buddhist or Hindu. or uh, And that can be a shocking idea. You know, a lot of people think, well, separation of church and state is where the church is not in the state. No. Nuh-uh. Thomas Jefferson wrote to the Danbury uh, uh, Baptist Society in Connecticut that they were concerned about even the idea of religious preservation being in the Constitution, that governments would use it to shut um, Christians out of the state processes. He said, no. He said, what is in the Constitution, our Bill of Rights, etc., all of these documents are meant to protect the church from the state. It's a wall of separation between church and state, meaning the state cannot get in there and dictate what the church can do. And the church should not dictate what the government should do, but that doesn't mean God is supposed to be pushed out. Well, that, that original document uh, was not used by the Supreme Court on that decision. It's cost us a lot of problems. And I'll get into that topic at a later time. But what um, I find interesting is Mr. Johnston is saying that the principle of being armed secures religious liberty, implying that Christians need to be armed. The thing is, is that the Revolutionary War actually started on Jonas's, Jonas Clark's front lawn of his church with his congregation that he raised up to use weapons. And ironically, and most precious, in my eyes, in a, a, a like a prophetic act of the things to come was the first bloodshed was a black man and that blood speaks out 
And so I believe that the defense of liberty from a black man was a seed sown for the liberty of a whole race and a nation from slavery. And so it started at a church, guys, by a congregation when the British um, shot first. Don't let them lie to you. They, they shot first. Uh, another one, George Mason, he was a delegate, uh, delegate, not delegate, delegate to the Constitutional Convention, father of the Bill of Rights, he was considered. He said 40 years ago when the resolution of enslaving America was formed in Great Britain, the British Parliament was advised to disarm the people that it was the best and most effectual way to enslave them. Interesting, huh? Yep, 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 yep. Um, one, uh, Thomas Paine, he was a Quaker. He said, I am thus far a Quaker, a pacifist. They believe in taking up arms in war. I would gladly agree with all the world to lay aside the use of arms and settle matters by negotiation. But unless the whole will, unless the whole world will, the matter ends and I will take up my musket and thank heaven he has put it in my power. It's uh, foolishness to think that you can disarm the good and that all the world's just going to follow suit. That's not how it works. And so even a pacifist is saying, I will take up arms because not everyone on the planet is going to be peaceful, is basically what he means. He also said the history of every age and nation establishes these truths and facts need but little arguments when they prove themselves. Edmund Randolph, he was a delegate to the Constitutional Convention, Secretary of State under President George Washington, said a people who mean to continue free must be prepared to meet danger in person, not to rely upon the fallacious protection of armies. In other words, our personal security and self-preservation is dependent on ourselves because armies can be swayed to do evil. And so we should not rely on any army to protect us. We are the army that protects ourselves against invaders of our home, invaders of our city, invaders of our nation, or even our own government. Theodore Sedgwick, he was a revolutionary soldier, framer of the Second Amendment. He said... How is an army for that purpose to subdue a nation of free men who know how to prize liberty and who have arms in their hands? George Washington, a free uh, people ought to be armed. He also said no man should scruple or hesitate a moment to use arms in defense. Noah Webster, the famous Webster Dictionary dude, uh, he was a revolutionary soldier, legislator responsible for Article 1, Section 8, Paragraph 8 of the Constitution. He said, before a standing army can rule, the people must be disarmed, as they are in almost every kingdom in Europe. The supreme power in America cannot enforce unjust laws by the sword because the whole body of the people are armed. In fact, I think that if people would take up arms in these crazy places where uh, crime is just rampant, it would probably subdue that. And uh, even in Israel, they... We're having school shootings, so they arm the teachers. I mean, it's common sense. So that tells you that the people who think that we need to be disarmed because of gun violence, gun violence are either useful idiots or they have an agenda. And so anybody who speaks of disarming this nation should be suspect. 100%. And, and some people, they just don't know. Some people, the horror of violence, especially in Uvalde, that was seen, would compel anybody with compassion to consider 
more gun laws uh, and regulations, but uh, that's not the answer. And it's a dangerous road to go down. And I personally wish every school would be armed and um, with teachers that want to be armed. Some will not want to. They're scared of weapons, but uh, and they should be trained. And I bet you that would stop a lot of this nonsense. But anyway, so that's what some of the founding fathers have said. And I want you to walk away today with the idea that the right to bear arms is to protect yourself against your uh, any harm coming to you or your property. It's to protect religious liberty and it's to protect us against tyrannical government. All right. Well, next week, we may not have an urgent education. I'll try to get one maybe done earlier since it'll be Thanksgiving and I'll have family um, here um, for the weekend. Uh, but if I don't get it, we'll resume the next week. But this stuff to me is fascinating because we get to go to the horses' mouths. We get to hear exactly what they were thinking because the lie is that you cannot understand the Constitution without people that are professionals to interpret it for you. That's the same lie churches tell people when it comes to the word that you can't understand unless you have an instructor. Uh, that all of that is fallacy. We can read their words, we can read their thoughts because they shared them, we can read the debates, and we can know exactly what our rights are, exactly what they uh, sought to preserve, and know this, your rights do not come from any piece of paper. Your rights do not come from any government. Your rights are from God and God alone, and no man, government, can take them away. All right? Okay, so I will see you guys next week. Uh, if I don't see you before uh, Thanksgiving, have a great Thanksgiving. Small is the new big. God is shifting from the current church structure back to his original intent and design, the ecclesia. The ecclesia is the original word that was used when Jesus was describing that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it in Matthew 16, 18. In fact, most of the time when you see church, it's actually ecclesia. The ecclesia is his ruling government on earth made up of two or more. It's a mobile, organic community, not a system. If you felt like a square peg trying to fit in a round hole, or you know there's more, this training might be for you. If you know that God is moving in the marketplace and you want to be equipped to partner with Him, this training is for you. If you understand that the call is to disciple nations, you must be equipped with this training. Go to churchshift.me. That is churchshift.me.